Okay, I think we are live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. If you have any questions or comments for our panelists today, which could be a little lively show, we think today, uh, put them in the chat window. Uh, in if you're watching us live on the live stream, uh, YouTube live stream, uh, or you can go to BibleQuest.org and put in things there and contact us through that. Uh, at any time, if you wanted to put together a, a discussion for a future program. Anyway, let's move on. We're going to turn it over to Joe. Joe, it's all yours. Uh, Joe. Hey, uh, Joe, you're muted. <laughs> yeah, I realized that just as uh, it came up and said nobody could hear me, uh, which may be for the best. We'll see. Uh, good to have you with us, Chase. Uh, uh, barely recognize you, but it's great to have you back. Um, I haven't seen you for a year. Uh, one of the worst dad jokes you can have. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that intro. Good to see you again, Joe. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff, good to have you on as well. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to talk about the book of Revelation, but we're going to try to limit it primarily to the timing of the book. We may get into some of the other weeds in the, the study, uh, but I'd like to try to focus on the what the book claims as far as the timing of the fulfillment. Um, there's so much controversy, so much uh, sensationalism given through the book of Revelation. You know, there was an earthquake recently in Japan. And, uh, you know, you'll hear people will say, oh, Revelation, it, it talks about earthquakes. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of those signs of the end of the world or, you know, the war in Ukraine or the uh, the whatever war any, anywhere, yeah. um, you know, especially what's happening in between Israel and the Palestinians. People are constantly pointing to the book of Revelation uh, for current fulfillment, uh, fulfillment of current events. And so I think it's helpful if we step back and look at the book. And I think that there are three keys to understanding the book of Revelation. We're only going to focus on one of those primarily. Uh, the second one is what is currently going on. And I mean, currently, I mean, in the time that John receives this revelation, what's the situation of the saints in the first century? Yep. And then the third key is what is the overriding theme, which I would suggest is victory in Jesus. So, Joe, uh, you mentioned three keys. I heard two of them. Did, did yeah. you skip the first one? I did. The first one is the timing of the book. Oh. Uh, what we're going to talk about today. So the, the second one, the situation of the saints. The third one, the overriding theme. If you can get those three keys, those three ideas down, I think that it really just takes away practically all of the mystery of the book. It certainly takes away the confusion. It takes away the fear because the book is not intended to cause fear unless you are opposed to God. Um, uh, then you ought to be afraid. Um, uh, but the book says a lot about what's going on in John's day amongst the Christians. And so that would be the second point. But this first point, the timing of the book, I think if we can try to be consistent with what the book says about itself regarding the timing, then that just eliminates, you know, I don't know what, 90, 95% of the false information about the book. I think it just destroys so much of the, the false teaching of the book. And I would say your first and two, your first and second key 
um, what's going on and when was it written are closely related. Right. If, if you look at what's going on at the time that the letter's written from within the letter itself, what it indicates about that, that'll lead you a long way down the road to when it was written. Yeah, and and even the third point as well. So why did what did the what did those uh, Christians in the first century in those seven churches? What kind of message did God feel that they needed? Thus, right. the overriding theme. Yeah, all right. three of yeah. those are really tied together. I think yep. that's helpful. So let's go ahead and, and jump into the book. One of you all want to read for us the first paragraph, uh, at least as it's outlined in my book, uh, the first three verses of Revelation one. I can do that. The okay, revelation. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, nope, Jeff. You got it. You got it. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. Okay, so John receives this vision, and it's kind of passed down, right? Uh, God gave uh, through Jesus uh, through the, to this angel that's going to show John, and then John is to uh, give this message to others, those who read and those who hear, verse 3. Um, but as far as the timing of the book, the very first verse gives us a time element a, a word there what is that soon yeah so translation soon or shortly the new king james says the idea is that of quickly or swiftly even my marginal reference states but these were things that as john receives that vision now let me pause because i've had people i've actually heard people they read this verse and then they proclaim as if it's present tense. They'll say, you see, God says these things are getting ready to happen soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. It's wow. like in Matthew 24 when Jesus says, this generation will not pass away till these things come to pass. And, and people say, see, this generation in which we're living right now. <laughs> yeah. Forget about the original readers. You know, Forget the fact that this is a, a, a letter 2,000 years old. When John received this vision, God is telling him these are things that are going to happen soon, shortly take place. It, it, it's as if somebody were reading the dialogue between President Lincoln and, and Mary Todd Lincoln, and President Lincoln says, Mary, let's go to the play tonight. And somebody would read that and go, wow, look, there's going to be an assassination tonight, January the 3rd, 2024. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't read old mail and think immediately that uh, you know the timings that are stated are dealing are talking to us um uh, and so well yeah we shouldn't i should say um because it says that these were things that were given to john about things were going to happen soon in his day um and then again verse three uh there's another time element that's given um you know blesses he who reads those who hear the words of prophecy keep those things which are written in it why the time is near. Near. Yeah. And so this is something, you know, when, when you say the time is near, it, it's it's really close by. You know, you can almost reach out and grab it would be the idea. It's near in proximity uh, from a time vantage point. Um, uh, and so shortly take place or soon. The time is near. And then let's skip over to the end of the book. 
in chapter 22. You know, if you received a letter and the beginning of the book, you know, it's from a friend, somebody is writing to you um, and they're saying, you know, here's some things that's going to happen really soon. The time is near. And then you get to the end of that letter. And it will begin in verse six. Verses six through 11. Uh, one of you guys want to read that for us? All right. So I'm reading from an older translation. So it may read a little differently than what some people are familiar with, but. Revelation 22, verses 6 through 11. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. What does yours say there? Same thing. Shortly right. take place. Verse 7. And behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am he that heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel that showed me these things. And he says to me, see thou do it not. I am a fellow servant with thee and with thy brethren, the prophets, and with them that keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he says to me, seal not up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unrighteous, let him do unrighteousness still. And he that is filthy, let him be made filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him do righteousness still. And he that is holy, let him be made holy still. Okay. So mm -hmm. in verse 6, the same phrase that we found in chapter 1, shortly take place. Or Chase, does yours say soon there as well in verse 6? Soon, soon take place. Yeah. And then in verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. We'll talk more about that idea of quickly in just a moment. Um, but he says, I come quickly. The, the Lord is saying, I come quickly. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 10, uh, he says, don't seal up because the time is at hand or the time is near again. And so the same thing that he said in chapter 1 and verse 1 and 1 and verse 3, he's saying here at the end of the book, and then two more times, when again, we're just skipping some of this, encourage the audience to read through the text more carefully. But in verse 12 and in verse 20, he's going to say again, I am coming quickly. And so he says in chapter 22, verses 6, 7, 10, 12, and 20, uh, shortly take place, I uh, come quickly, time is near, I come quickly, I come quickly. You know, just tremendous emphasis. These are things that are getting ready to happen really soon. You know, it's it's right around the corner, uh, we might say. Let's go back and notice that idea there in verse 10. Don't seal up the words of this book for the time is at hand. What's the idea of not sealing it up because the time is at hand? Well, you know, you don't you don't put a lid on it. You, this is something that it, it it's not to be put up on a shelf. It's not to be, you know, discarded or way off in the future. That ought to be a really important key verse to understand for people that saying that it's fulfilled 2000 years later. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's saying, don't, don't seal it up. Don't close this book because it's getting ready to happen. Um, that's there a was a revelation that was for hundreds of years in the future and somebody was told to seal it up. Yeah. So w where do we find that in the, uh, uh, the Old Testament. Back in the book of Daniel. Um, yep. And um, I'm trying to think, is it 11 or Daniel, 12? Daniel 8. Yeah. Eight. See, I wasn't even close. Yeah. Oh, you were. You had the right book. Um, <laughs> and you, you did have a number. So, you know, uh, that was good. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, Daniel 8, 
we're talking, and again, now this is a really helpful one because we know the timing of Daniel 8 because he's talking about in verse 20, Medo-Persia, in verse 21, Greece. And so Greece, you think of Alexander the Great, right, primarily. And so that's the time frame, uh, is that Medo-Persia is going to fall, Greece is going to rise. So as Daniel receives this vision, we're a couple hundred years into the future that Daniel 8 is talking about. And verse 26, he says, the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision where it refers to many days in the future. So again, seal it up, close up that box, put it up on a shelf, lock the door. That's going to be way down the road that this is going to happen. And that's a couple hundred years. And so by contrast, Revelation 22 is saying, don't seal it up because it is the time is near it's, it's getting ready to happen mm -hmm. i think that's that really is some pretty strong evidence that we're not even talking a few hundred years in the future i don't believe when we're dealing with the book of revelation mm -hmm. we're talking about in john's day these were things that were getting ready to happen well that really i mean that that just sort of destroys all kinds of teaching about, you know, that this is dealing with an earthquake today or a war today or some turmoil somewhere in the world or global warming or global cooling or climate change or whatever, you know, um, that the, the book is not talking about those things. Now, let me pause here because sometimes I'm misunderstood probably because I don't say things as clear. Uh, but I'm not saying there's not applications to the book of Revelation today. I'm saying it's not speaking about events concerning today, primarily. Jason. So what would you say about some of the more specific things? Because I think that's what really hangs people up. It's not just the earthquakes, but uh, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, no buying and selling, that kind of stuff that Revelation talks about. And where it just seems like, oh, that's so specific and that is so clearly happening right now. And just those kinds of things. How would you respond to those? So, you know, again, maybe going back to that Matthew 24 passage that Jeff talked about, you know, when talk, dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem, certainly the first part of that book chapter is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he gives some very specific things there. And he includes things like earthquakes. Well, there have been earthquakes, you know, for however long, you know, there's been earthquakes for, for centuries. And there were going to be earthquakes after the destruction of Jerusalem. So things happen, you know, specific. You know, so there may be similar events where maybe there's going to be where you can't buy or you can't sell. Um, there may be some, some events that happen after the first century that look a lot like this. And that's where you would apply the, the principles that are in this book. Uh, I think these are things that were happening to the Christians or getting ready to happen to the Christians, both of those. Some things were happening, some things were getting ready to happen to the Christians in John's day. But yeah, would similar things happen like in the 5th century or the 12th century or in the 21st century? Sure. And so that's the benefit of studying the book. But we don't pull the things out of context and say, it's talking about these things right now. No, they would apply. Sort of like when you read maybe... Uh, the book of Genesis, and uh, you know, pick a pick a story out of uh, out of Genesis, uh, Genesis eighteen and nineteen, the destruction sure. of Sodom and Gomorrah. I was going to say that one too. So, you know, did that happen already? Sure, 
Are there things that we can learn? I mean, we even use those phrases today. We'll talk about someplace like San Francisco or whatever, and we'll say that's Sodom. Yeah, yeah. We don't literally or, mean that, but it's a mirror. Yeah, and Jesus said, "Remember Lot's wife." I mean, even Jesus was doing that. Yeah, yeah. Great. Wow, that's a that's a really good point right there. I like that. Yes, and, and even in the book of Revelation, it mentions people like Balaam and Jezebel pulling out figures from the Old Testament to make applications in John's day. There's nothing yeah. wrong with making applications, but I'm just I'm I'm insisting and trying to do it humbly. Um, uh, but I believe that the book is really clear that these were things that were getting ready to happen really soon. And so when we think about this idea of Jesus coming, and in Revelation 22, he said three times, I come quickly. In uh, 22, 7, 12, and 20, he also said it in chapter 2 and verse 16, and in chapter 3 and verse 11. Chapter 2 and verse 16, he's talking to the church in Pergamum, and it's sort of a threat. If you don't straighten up, I'm coming quickly. Uh, you need to repent, I'm coming quickly. In uh, chapter 3, He's uh, speaking to uh, the church um, uh, in Philadelphia, and it's more like a promise, a rescue promise. And he's saying, you know, hold on to what you have. I'm coming quickly. You know, hang on. Uh, I'm on my way, so, so to speak. But he's saying in chapter 2 and verse 16, chapter 3 and verse 11, chapter 22 and verses 7, 12, and 20, I come quickly. And people will sometimes say, aha. Now, are you saying that Jesus came, that he, he's already come? And my answer is an emphatic yes. Yes, he came. Part of the problem is we, when we first learn the gospel or when we first become Christians, uh, we become keenly aware of the idea that there's a future time when Jesus is coming back. Even people who are not Christians are aware of this cultural concept of the idea that Jesus is supposed to come back at some point in the future. And so that's that's what we have on our brains. And so anytime we come to the Bible with with and that's all we've learned and we see Jesus talking about coming or the coming of the son of man in Matthew chapter 24 or here in the book of Revelation, our mind immediately goes to that future coming that we're looking for that we're yeah. anticipating. But we do a little bit more studying and we find what you're alluding to is that there have been many comings of the Lord in, in judgment in one yeah. way or another. And uh, that that's an expression that does not necessarily refer to Jesus in his person, in human form, coming and standing on the earth. It, it refers often to events where the Lord comes in judgment, brings a judgment upon a city or upon a nation. And uh, so we, we have to get that understanding in our heads. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Chase. I was going to say the same thing. Just amen what Jeff said. I think him and I were thinking the same way that you, that's the question people are asking. Well, what what does it mean that he's coming? That's sorry. That's the question people are not asking. They're not asking what it means. They just assume in the same way he went up in the cloud and the angel said he's going to come back. They just assume it's it's that final coming of Jesus. And so uh, looking at the rest of scripture, there was a key word Jeff used a second ago about a coming of judgment. Mm -hmm. that multiple times that has happened throughout the Bible where there is a message of God coming or Jesus coming in judgment. And that might not mean his physical body touching the earth, but his influence causing things to happen for Rome to collapse or 
or Greek to collapse or any any or Greece to collapse or any of these world empires. Yeah, to me, one of the easier places to see that is in Genesis 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel, because in that text, it's actually Yahweh who is saying, come, let us go down. Come, let us go down. You know, did Yahweh go down and confuse the languages? Well, you'd be a fool to say that he didn't because the text tells us that he did. Um, uh, he came down and he confused those languages. And so there's a time when he came. Uh, Isaiah 29, you have this statement in verse 3. This is, again, Yahweh speaking. I will, I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound. I will raise siege works against you. Now, did God in literal bodily form come down and lay a siege against Jerusalem in that situation? Or in Hosea 10, he says, I'm going to come and rain righteousness on you. So you get that language of God coming. And just like with Revelation 2, 16 and 3, 11, sometimes it's a threat. Sometimes it's punishment. Sometimes it's coming to deliver and to save, like raining righteousness down on them in Hosea 10, 2, uh, or 10, 12. Um, yeah, the Lord has come, I don't know. I'd be scared to put a number on it, but we have record of him coming dozens of times in Scripture. Um, uh, and so you know, I suspect he's come thousands of times. Uh, you know, you know the, the Lord is always active. And so uh, he comes. There is a special coming, and the Hebrew writer talks about him coming a second time um, uh, in uh, Hebrews uh, 9 and verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So there is a second coming. Jesus came, died for our sins. That's the first part of Hebrews 9, 28. He's going to come a second time. It's talking about the big time that he's coming. And it's interesting. Judgment, so. in the night time. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting when you think about Hebrews 9 and he came and he's coming a second time. That's referring to two instances where he did come. Well, the first instance where he did come, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came as a man. And when he departed, the angel said, you'll see him coming uh, in, how does it say it? In, yeah, yeah, in, in the clouds. Yeah, yeah. He, he, you'll see him re return. In the same way. He, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I take that, that, you know, when Jesus comes at the end of time, we will see him. Right. Um, and these other comings of the Lord that we see throughout the Bible, coming in judgment, you don't necessarily see the the. the person. You don't see him coming in the form of man where you see him with your human eyes. Exactly. And, and that's part of the problem. People don't understand the Bible speaks of these other comings where you don't see him with your human eyes. They're not aware that the Bible speaks of those as comings of the Lord. Yeah. So. yeah. But it's really, the prophets speak in that fashion a lot. Mm -hmm. um, the Lord coming in, in judgment or in mm -hmm. salvation, deliverance. And a lot of that language that we studied in a previous podcast in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13 is language from the prophets, from Daniel and from Isaiah, where they are using that same language of coming in the clouds and um, bringing up other kinds of events that, that were referenced in those books mm -hmm. to say there's judgment on the way. So oh, go ahead, Jeff. Joe, at some point, um, I'd kind of like to go back to the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Maybe maybe you have in mind doing that at some point. And I don't want to jump the gun if you want to do that a little bit later in the conversation. 
but just go back and look at the circumstances in which John was and the circumstances in which his readers were, to whom he was writing and their circumstances. And I think there we get some indication of not only the overall message, but the timing. When was it relevant? Yeah. So uh, let's let's start with this. He's writing to these seven churches that he gives the names of them in uh, chapter 1 and in verse 11, right? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He's writing to those seven churches. John is distributing this uh, to, uh, to the, the saints in those seven cities. Um, <coughs> the, in the vision in chapter 1, what uh, John sees is seven golden lampstands and Jesus standing in the midst of those. And the one that's standing in the midst of them has in his hand, the right hand, seven stars, verse 16 says of chapter 1. Now we go down to verse 20 and we're given a an interpretation you know this is an open book test so to speak he tells us the answer what do those lampstands mean what do those stars mean the lampstand he says uh are the seven churches at the end of chapter one and verse 20 uh, mm -hmm. the, the the lampstands are the seven churches the stars are the angels of the seven churches i wanted to start there because sometimes people will get to chapter two and three and they'll say well these churches they represent different time frames uh you know this is the this is the church but in different stages throughout time right and i i use the illustration what if uh you know i've got some uh, friends that live in places where there are no deer and imagine that one of them came to visit and as we're driving along they see this yellow sign and in the middle of that sign it, there's a black figure and it maybe you know almost looks like it's jumping a little bit or whatever and maybe it's even got some horns on it like it's going to get ready to attack jeff's car or something and uh uh sorry about that i had to throw that in there jeff yeah, um, i did a deer a week and a half ago <laughs> and so as we're driving along my friend says what is that i say oh that's a deer sign and then about that time out from the woods bounds a couple of animals right in front of us and we dodge them because i'm an alert driver and uh you know uh he's like whoa what was that i said you remember that sign back there those what just came in front of us those are deer and he says well what do they represent you say no 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 those, those are deer. No, nobody would ask what do they represent you see the sign and you might ask what it represents but once you see the real you know well that's what you have here and so he says that there's seven lampstands they represent seven churches and that's where we stop because he's given us the explanation but Joe, what do the seven churches represent exactly <laughs> they represent deer um you know, uh, they're, uh well uh donner and dix uh, i don't know um uh, you know it's it is frustrating when people want to in order to promote their teaching take something that is a symbol that then is explained for us because this is a revelation this is a revealing and so he's not hiding things he's not tricking us he's not trying to to keep this a secret so, so joe are you suggesting that the book of revelation was actually about things pertinent to seven churches that were 
that, that existed 2,000 years ago? Exactly. And, and think about the first one, Ephesus. You know, we, we know about Ephesus. We have the, 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 the story of the, the early church in Ephesus in Acts 18 and in 19, and uh, the elders in chapter 20. We have the book of Ephesians. We have uh, Timothy, a, a, a preacher in Ephesus, 1 Timothy, uh, the book of 1 Timothy written to Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, you know, so we know these are real churches. They're not representing something else. Mm-hmm. Imagine, what if we did that with the rest of the Bible? Why do we do it with Revelation? Especially the irony that it's called Revelation. Um, so God is revealing these things, and he tells us what it means. Um, so what, what, what would you suggest uh, saying about these two or three churches, uh, these, uh, chapters two and three, these seven churches? Um, uh, is to help us understand the timing of the book, Jeff. Well, I, w- I like to go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, where John says, I, John, so he's writing to these seven churches. He says, I, John, you're, and, and by the way, these seven churches were all in a relatively small geographical area. There's a specific situation in that, in that geographical area at a specific time. Uh, he is on the island of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea, just off the coast of modern-day Turkey, just off the coast from where Ephesus was. And and Ephesus is one of the seven cities in that local area. And he's writing to them, and he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, I, John, your brother and partaker with you in the tribulation and kingdom and patience, or you could say steadfastness, uh, which are in Jesus. And he says, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus. So what he's saying is, I'm participating, I share in tribulation with you, and my specific tribulation is I've been exiled to this island because I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then as you see him start to, or the Lord through him, address each of those seven churches, you see things like in chapter 2 and verse uh, 9 to the church at Smyrna, uh, which is just north of Ephesus, about 50 miles, if I remember right. Um, these things, uh, say, sorry, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, uh, but you're rich. Spiritually, they were rich. And the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and they're not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear not the things which you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you'll you shall suffer tribulation 10 days be faithful unto death or to the to the next city uh pergamos or pergamum depending on how you want to say it in chapter 2 and verse um verse 13 he talks about antipas who was one of the saints at pergamum who had already been killed he had already been martyred so john is here writing to christians who are who are going through some tribulation, he says, I'm sharing in that with you. And to them, through John, the Lord gives this message of encouragement to him that overcomes. Overcome this, and I'm going to give you the reward. And then the rest of the book of Revelation is going to lay out in very graphic and symbolic and figurative ways uh, a picture of, of what's going, what lies immediately ahead in terms of the, the trials they're going to suffer, but the victory that will be theirs. Amen. Yeah. And maybe just carry that idea, especially springboarding off of Antipas. Antipas has been murdered for the cause of Christ because of the word and the the testimony that he held. When we get over to chapter six and verses nine through 11, this fifth seal is opened and uh, 
John sees these souls that are under the altar and they're crying out, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell on the earth? And uh, the answer that is given to them, let me turn there and get to that. Uh, they, they cry out in verse 10, the answer that's given to them, white robe was given to verse 11, it said that they should rest a little while longer. And so these saints in John's day, had, some of them had been killed, like Antipas. You know, he, he would be one of those souls that's under the altar. He's been slain. He's been killed. He's been sacrificed. And crying out for righteous vengeance from God. And they're, say, and they're told, just wait a little while longer. There's another time element that's given. So because of the sufferings and the murders of the Christians, God is going to deal with that as far as what I believe Rome is concerned, the persecution that's taking place there. So again, chapter 6 and verse 11 is another one of the time elements that I think helps us to understand a little while longer. Joe, Joe do we have time that I can, I can talk just a minute about and show a couple of slides about um, some of the things that were going on in these particular seven cities? Yes, yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to share a screen here. Uh, thank you, Joe. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Where is the screen? Um, well, there it is. No. Uh, well, go ahead. I thought I could bring it up. I'll see if I can get it up in just a second. While, while you're looking for that, let me just mention an, an argument that sometimes is given against what I'm presenting here. Um, is that people will say, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day? And the time has passed. Jeff has now found his slide. We'll, we'll come back to that. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll All come right. back to that. Okay, so this is the Mediterranean world, and here you'll see Patmos. That's where John was a prisoner. And we're going to look at this area right here, which would be the western part of modern-day Turkey. That, in the first century, was a Roman province called Asia. When you read Asia in the Bible, that's all it's talking about, just that, that little area there. And so if we zoom into this area here, you'll see Patmos, and you'll see these seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 1 and chapter 2 and 3. So John writes, and in this order, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it's as if he can send this message that he, he writes, the book of Revelation, and then it's going to be carried by courier just in a, in a circuit from Ephesus all the way around to Laodicea. And as you, as you look at the history of this, in the first century, well, in the first few centuries, in the first three centuries, there were 37 cities that were designated as Neocoroi, or a, the singular would be a Neocorus. And, and that was a word that referred to a, a temple guardian. Uh, the city was viewed as a temple guardian for uh, the worship of Caesar, one of the emperors. And this was a great honor. Uh, it considered a great honor in, in Asia was to, to get to be the host of a temple for the worship of one of the emperors as a god, as deity. And, and they clamored to have that right. And, and so we start looking at the cities that got that right. They weren't all over the Roman Empire. It was primarily in this area. Of those 37, 31 of them were in Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor is really what we call Turkey today. It's this whole peninsula. But Asia is a smaller area. 31 of them were in Asia Minor, and 14 of them 
were in Asia specifically, that very small area on the western end of Turkey. And only seven of them existed in the first century. When we say 31 of them, we're referring to the first three centuries. But in the time that John writes the book of Revelation in the first century, there had only been seven. And of those seven, four were in Asia at Miletus and Ephesus and Smyrna and, per I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Miletus. Well, three of those are of the seven churches that are mentioned. And the others were Nicomedia in Bithynia and Chira in Galatia and Pergia in Pamphylia, which are also on this map. So you look at this and you start thinking about the cities that became the Akoroi temple guardians for the worship of one of the emperors in the second and third centuries. So adding to the ones we've already mentioned, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamus, Sardis in the second century, Philadelphia in the third, and Laodicea in the second. So you have these three added. So by the time all is said and done, of the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, six of them we know were, were hosts of a temple to worship an emperor as deity. And so now you imagine Christians in the first century in these cities and, and the pressure that there would be upon them. We've got to please the Romans. We want the honor to, to be able to worship their, the Caesar as God so that they'll treat us well. And of course, Christians couldn't do that. And you get a little bit of a sense of the tribulation and, and, the, and the background behind some of the tribulation that the Christians were going to be facing. Yeah, very helpful. Uh, so even secular history, uh, this information uh, helps to confirm that what these seven churches were facing was very real in their day. Um, if this is talking about something 2,000 years later, how meaningful is it for Jesus to say to the church in Pergamum, I come quickly? The church has been gone from there for, for so long. You know, it, it had to be speaking to those people very soon after that. But one of the objections that is given sometimes is, but the Bible says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So, so maybe these time frames that you're giving really they mean and what they they won't say it out loud. But what they what they're what they're trying to get across is they mean the opposite of what they're saying. You know, and so that I'll say. So are, are you suggesting that that soon means late and quickly means slowly and uh, uh, near means far away? You know, do words have meanings or not? Yes, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. But the, but the Lord is writing to man in the, this book, like all the others, and so He's speaking in man's terms. Ironically, the Book of Revelation does talk about a thousand years a couple of times, mm -hmm. um, and so when they say a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day, I'll say so in Revelation twenty. Are you suggesting that the Lord is only going to reign for a day and uh, that, that, that Satan is going to be bound for one day? And like, oh, no, 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 no. So they want to use that verse <laughs> out of context from a different book, 2 Peter 3, 8. They want to use a verse in a different book to apply it to the book of Revelation, but not apply it to the one passage, the two verses that speak of a thousand years. That's just a little bit disingenuous, I think. You know, now I think the point of a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. I think the point, uh, a friend of mine once said, I love this idea that what that passage means is that there's no clocks in heaven. In other words, God is not operating 
off of a schedule. God is operating off of righteousness and holiness. And, uh, you know, his judgment is going to come when it should come, not because of a day on a calendar. Um, uh, and so for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Uh, God, in that text of 2 Peter 3, is talking about judgment and salvation as well. So I think that's a really poor argument that somebody ought, would, would try to use, that they do use, because the one place that you could really use it, they say, oh, no, it doesn't apply there. So mm -hmm. um, let me, how much time we got? Oh, we got five minutes. Okay, I'm going to talk really fast here. Jump over to chapter 13. I just yeah. think this is so neat. Yeah. In chapter 13, we see this sea beast. And uh, if somebody wants to have some more information about this, we have some... Uh, uh, some lessons that go through this a little bit slower, considerably slower, like I think 13 lessons on Revelation. Uh, if you want to write to us and we can uh, send you a link for that, if you'd like, uh, put that in the comments. But in chapter 13 and verse one, he says, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and on his 10 and on his horns, 10 crowns and on his heads, a blasphemous name. And we're left wondering, what is he talking about there? Except just like he did with the lampstands and the stars, he defines for us what these very things mean from chapter 13 and verse 1. And so over in chapter 17, he's going to say, for example, in verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads, which are seven mountains on which the woman sits. These are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must reign a short time. And the beast that was, is not, is himself also the eight, is of the seven, is going to perdition. The ten horns, verse 12, are ten little kings. The waters, he says, are, verse 15, are the people's multitudes, nations, and languages. So this beast is going to come from the people. In other words, he's not divine, I think, is one of the main points there. He's coming from the people. Um, but the seven heads, he says, they represent two things in this text where we're told that this is inspired uh, commentary then. Uh, it represents seven mountains, and it also represents seven kings, verses 9 and 10. And so the seven mountains, um, Rome famously called the city of seven hills. There are other places that have that are known to be sitting, other cities that are known to be sitting on seven hills. Uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil is one of them. I don't think he's talking about Rio. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I think he's talking about Rome here. Um, you can go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, not a Christian website, um, uh, but you can certainly see that's what they call Rome, uh, the seven hills of Rome. You can even have the names of them that if I tried, I would mispronounce the Latin names for them. But he also says that, that those seven heads, they also represent seven kings in verse 10. And we might be tempted to say, well, seven is just a, a figurative, a symbolic number, except he gives us math. He says five have fallen, one is, and one is, uh, when, when he comes, he must continue to a short time. And so if we look at the Roman Caesars, you have Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudia, and Nero are the first five. And so he's saying five of them have fallen. I believe then that this book was written after the fall of that fifth Caesar, Nero. He says one is the sixth emperor was Vespasian. Vespasian reigned from 69 to 79 AD. 
And then he says, and the seventh, well, notice what he says uh, in verse 10, uh, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. The seventh emperor would be Titus, Vespasian's son, Titus. He reigned from 79 to 81, only two years. So he literally reigned a short time. Five have fallen, uh, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. One is Vespasian. One is going to come, but only reign for a short time. That's Titus. And then there is an eighth horn that's going to come up from the seven. That eighth horn would be then the eighth uh, emperor, Domitian. And so I think that within this text, we're told when the book was written, it was writ written during Vespasian's reign, because five have fallen and one is. And it's, and it's talking about this, this horrible beast. And he says in this text, the beast was, so past tense, so who was the last emperor, Nero. And he says the beast is also himself the eighth. And so this sea beast is representing the Nero and Domitian reigns, which, listen, none of the emperors were good. <laughs> but Nero and Domitian lowered the bar tremendously. You know, uh, we don't have time. We're, we're out of time today. Um, uh, but they were just absolutely horrific, particularly in regard to persecution of the Christians. And so I think the book tells us when it was written and what it's talking about. It's talking about this time of what has happened with Nero, what's getting ready to happen in just a few years with Domitian. He's telling the Christians, you guys need to hang on, you need to be faithful until death, and you'll find victory in Jesus. So that's in a nutshell. We certainly skipped a lot of things, and maybe you have some questions. Feel free to send those to us. Um, I love studying the book of Revelation with people. Um, I'd be, be really happy to, to go into that more, and Chase and Jeff can as well. Um, uh, but if we can help you in the future studies, uh, please let that be known. But thank you for joining us today. Anything else, Chase or Jeff? Thank you much, Joe. Thank you for walking us through it. Thanks, everybody.